tuned in to the Community Cast podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Margaret Tompkins. Margaret is president of the Tompkins Foundation for Feline Leukemia Advocacy. She's a tireless advocate for feline leukemia education and FELV positive cats. She actively networks for feline leukemia positive cats all over the country. She's active on social media, especially Facebook, in promoting adoptions and education. She's a huge proponent of TNR and supports shelter and rescue programs that provide positive outcomes for feline leukemia positive cats. Margaret, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. So if you could just share with our listeners, first and foremost, how did you become so passionate about cats? I think as a little kid, I enjoyed cats, also dogs. I had a chicken, pet chicken. So it wasn't exclusive to cats. But in my older years, I kind of honed in on just the cats. I'm not really a dog person, but I'm pretty much a cat person. Yeah, and I I have the privilege of working with you over the last several years. You've been a lead supporter of our Feline Leukemia Day event that we have here at the Community Cats Podcast every July. So I want to thank you again for your tireless support of that event. But, you know, why feline leukemia? Why did that become your passion? You know, it's interesting. I was one of these workaholics. I designed large databases Oracle databases and my career, I retired June 30th, 2011. And like I said, I had no hobbies, no other interests. I really was a working person totally. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I look back on it as I know that one chapter closed and another chapter opened, but I didn't know that at the time. Went to visit some good friends in Indiana and my friend was fostering five little kittens. These were the sickest kittens I've ever seen in my life. They had every parasite and disease known to the sheltering community. And while she dispensed meds and took care of them, taking more samples, I just got to play with them. So I got very well acquainted with these five little kittens And she eventually nursed them all back to health, took them back to the shelter, and they tested positive for FELV. And this was back when we were still killing cats that tested positive for FIV as well as FELV. So they, of course, weren't about to euthanize these wonderful kittens, but they found a place for them at Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Utah. And that was my first donation of any kind for Felu cats or any cats was to help transport them out there. And that kind of got me involved in working with a local shelter. And then that shelter euthanized two healthy young cats that I had said I wanted. I really didn't know what I was going to do with them, but I knew that I had to rescue them and I was not able to rescue them. So I got very angry, and sometimes anger turns to inspiration. So I started on Facebook, and I think I had 10 friends at the time. Most of them were relatives of mine, 
And now I have, you know, like thousands of friends and they're mostly cat people, rescue people. So that's how I got involved in these cats and trying to educate people so that we know now that, of course, we don't need to euthanize any cat just because it has a virus. And we're learning a lot about these FELV cats now that we stopped, you know, euthanizing them. So that's my story. That's great. It's a wonderful example of our theme that we have going on for 2024 of somebody seeing something and and trying to solve it. So we see it and then solve it. And it's interesting that you approach the situation with these cats by not going with, I guess, what would be the standard policy. Oh, the cat tests positive for feline leukemia. Everybody euthanizes it, the, the cats. That's just what you did. Back when I was in 1996, when we had a veterinarian euthanize feline leukemia positive kittens that were otherwise healthy looking, it didn't make sense to me. It just didn't make sense. Even though a veterinarian was making that decision and doing that, I still just couldn't understand that. And I think that's one of the two things that you and I may have in common, which is I think we're critical thinkers. And we want to understand, even though there might be somebody there saying that they're more of an expert than we are, we want to understand why. Exactly. And one thing, too, there was at that time so little knowledge about FELV that it didn't take really long to become, you know, where you have done a complete research of everything that's available to be read about FELV. I was able to come up to speed fairly quickly, and I'm used to digesting scientific information. So to me, data speaks everything. And there just didn't seem to be any reason for euthanizing these cats. And now pretty much the world has kind of come around to our way of thinking. So that's good. That's excellent. It's really excellent news. And we've had some incredible resources at the feline leukemia conferences. But if I were to ask you, you know, who are your key go-to resources when you're trying to find out about feline leukemia, say you are part of an organization that still is euthanizing and you want to advocate for these cats, where would I go to find that information? Uh, My go-to is Dr. Julie Levy. She's the foremost expert on FELV in the country. She's both a veterinarian and a PhD. She does a lot of research. I think she's worked closely with uh, IDEX, the company, to develop their test their great quantitative PCR test, 26355. And that has just really been a game changer. And we've had just some miraculous inventions, if you will, or improvements. Certainly Merck and their new vaccine is just incredibly effective for preventing the spread of FELV. So she's one of my go-tos. And then also Austin Pets Alive, is a remarkable group that have set the model for adoption of these cats. As you know, the 2020 guidelines from the American Association of Feline Practitioners recommends that these cats be adopted into loving homes. And Austin Pets Alive adopts out between 500 and 600 cats, positive cats every year, into loving homes. So they have sort of set the model on how we do adoptions. And Dr. Levy has sort of set the way that we do research and look for, you know, further progress in in how we take care of these cats. So, you know, talking about the medical side of things, 
What are the current medicines out there to treat feline leukemia positive cats? I keep reading various different recommendations for this product or this product. Is there a one standard treatment for cats that have feline leukemia or or do we not treat them and just support them nutritionally? We treat the symptoms. Feline leukemia is is a virus that, you know, cats can get and it sort of destroys the cat's immune system. So it's not the FELV that causes problems in the cat. It's the secondary infections and diseases that they get. And those are the ones that we treat. So we may treat if they get a cancer, that can be treated. If they come down with your eyes, we would treat them just like we would a cat that didn't have the virus. So it needs to be known and understood that there is no cure for FELV. If a cat has FELV, it probably is going to die, just like any cat, you know, over a course of time is going to die. But we treat the symptoms, any diseases or infections that they get, we treat those infections in much the same way that we do negative cats. The only difference I think that we make is that since we know that this cat has a compromised immune system, we don't wait for the cold to clear on itself. We take the kitty to a vet so the vet can assess what's wrong with the cat and we can start treatment. Makes sense. So the other medicines that we see out there, maybe that are you know not in the United States or whatever, those are things we, at this point in time, shouldn't really pay much attention to? Well, some of those things, you have to look at the supporting evidence of a product If you have a product that's been FDA approved, you know that it's gone through clinical trials and there's been supporting evidence. And I point to the Merck vaccine, the new one, the two-year vaccine. That's been approved by the FDA. So you know that there's supporting evidence that you can trust. And then there's anecdotal evidence that people will present to you. You can say, I measured this in the cat and I gave treatment and this was the measurement afterwards. If that seems logical to you and you've got the numbers, you know, it's anecdotal evidence, so it's not scientific, but it's good, reasonable evidence. And in most things, when it comes to treatments available for FELV cats, it's still in the research stage. We're still trying to figure it out. And we know that there's been substantial improvement, say, in treatments for FIP in cats. In fact, even cats that have both FIP and FELV, Dr. Levy has shown that there's like an 89% success rate, where treatment for cats in general was only 83%. So that's just outstanding information. And that's not products that are approved by the FDA. And they do come from outside of the United States. So we don't want to discount those treatments that are available, but we do want to be cautious. And in particular, if there is no anecdotal data or scientific data, you really want to question whether you want to use those products. Is it just something that's going to make the manufacturer rich and not do anything good for your cat? Then, you know, it's definitely buyer beware. So it's just a word of caution to everybody out there that If there is no evidence 
and I mean scientific evidence or anecdotal evidence that can be repeated by other sources. It's just marketing and it's buyer beware. Are you passionate about spay-neuter? Do you want to create more low-cost opportunities for spay-neuter in your hometown? If this sounds like you, then there's a brand new podcast you'll definitely want to check out. Tune in to United We Spay, a monthly podcast from our friends at United Spay Alliance, hosted by me, Stacey LeBaron. Each episode delves into the heart of the spay-neuter movement, addressing root causes of overpopulation and empowering communities for a brighter future. On United We Spay, we answer tough questions, shift the conversation from symptoms to prevention, and champion solutions for limited access to affordable spay-neuter services. United We Spay is your go-to source for making a difference, spreading knowledge, and elevating the conversation around the importance of spay-neuter. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you getting your message across to your entire community? Do they know what programs you offer and what they can do to help? Learn more about how to effectively market your organization or just sharpen your skills with a free self-paced marketing course, The Fundamentals of Marketing on Maddie's University. The course is designed to provide a basic understanding of marketing and provide you with templates and tools to elevate and improve your organization's brand, voice, and audience, and have fun while doing it. You'll receive a strategic marketing plan template to download free go to university.maddiesfund.org and search marketing to enroll now. Are you ready to take your learning to the next level? Get your hands on the only all-access pass to all things Community Cats, the Community Cats Pass with Community Cats Podcast. This one-time purchase will ensure you're registered for all of our full 2024 calendar. That's all events, webinars, and workshops from the online cat conference to the online kitten conference from TNR to surrender prevention certification workshops, your 2024 Community Cats Pass will ensure you never miss a minute of cat-saving content. Turn your passion for cats into action all year long. Grab your pass today at communitycatspodcast.com. So you mentioned the, the Merck vaccine and, you know, how does that apply to, say, a mixed household? We know that only about 2 or 3% of all cats get FELV. And that means that 98% of the cats don't get FELV. And this is out in community cats and where they've got every, you know, access to every disease and parasite on the planet. So it's not commonly transmitted. And Merck, in some of their studies in developing this vaccine, they found that up to 30% of cats can be in this at-risk category. A healthy adult cat is not going to get FELV regardless of the number of encounters that they have with infected cats or the exposures. But there are at-risk cats, and those are young cats, kittens, old cats, sick cats, cats that have not been spayed or neutered, cats that go outside, cats that have compromised immune systems, weakened immune systems, or immature immune systems, those are the cats that are more at risk for getting FELV. So if we know that the number one source of transmission is from queen to kitten. So if you just get cats spayed or neutered, you are reducing the primary sources of transmission. I mentioned queen to kitten, that's number one by far. 
and then also adults fighting and mating that can be transmitted. And so by neutering and spaying the cats, we really virtually stop the transmission of FELV, which is the reason I'm such a huge proponent of TNR. That pretty much will wipe out FELV. You can further reduce the risk to your negative cats by getting them vaccinated. And some of the studies at Merck have shown 100% effective rate. So it's effective. No vaccine is going to be 100%. So we have to make that clear. So you can vaccinate your negative cats, and that further reduces the risk or the chance of the virus spreading. So it's not eliminating the risk. There still is some risk, but it's very, very low. So we have many people now that are having mixed households. And there's actually a couple of types of mixed households. I've got good friends who have both positive and negative cats, and they keep them separate within their home. And it's like doors are just a wonderful invention. And they can keep them separated. They can share the same space, just not at the same time. One of my friends has even a separate catio, or it's a duplex catio. Half of it is for Felix cats and half of it is for the negative cats. So we can keep them separate, even in the same household, and we can let them mingle. I consider that to be a personal decision. And we see a lot more people having now mixed households and no transfer of the virus. It's just we have really kind of focused on how it's transmitted and we cut down as much as possible the risk of transfer. And then we let the cats just enjoy their lives together. Wonderful. I think that just sounds wonderful. You touched upon a point that I really want to bring forward to emphasize Explain to me again, why do you feel that very aggressive, active TNR will reduce or potentially eliminate feline leukemia? Well, it's like I said, the number one way that feline leukemia is transferred is from queen to kitten. So the mama cat gives the virus to their newborn kittens. It can happen in the womb or through nursing. Remember, a newborn kitten doesn't have much of an immune system going for it. Easily pick up viruses. So the mom has given it to the kitten, and you know the kitten, depending upon their immune response, can be regressively infected and may live for a number of years. It may be progressively infected and live maybe two and a half years or so. If we cut out that link from queen to kitten, not only are we reducing the population of, you know, stray cats, but we're really eliminating that transfer method. And also, when it comes to males, particularly unneutered males, they fight aggressively, they can get deep bite wounds, and even through mating, they can transfer the virus, you know, to the female. So if we eliminate a mating, and fighting, the aggressive fighting with deep bite wounds, and the ability for queen to have kittens, that pretty much is takes care of FELV. We've shown it's really hard to get FELV through shared water bowls. It's just, you know, the virus doesn't live long outside of the host cat. 
and then it has to encounter getting from the saliva of the infected cat into the bloodstream of the negative cat. And that's just hard to do through a food bowl or a water bowl. So it's possible. I'm saying it's not probable at all. It, the statistics just don't you know, show as it being a very likely source of infection. So that's why TNR is so very important. I'm all for it reducing the cat population, but I'm just passionate about it stopping the spread of FELV. Do you find that our standard private practice veterinarians have the knowledge about feline leukemia that you're sharing with us today? No, and that's unfortunate. Most of what we have learned about feluke cats, we've learned since we stopped euthanizing them, and that hasn't been very long. So most vets have been out of school longer than what we've really been studying these cats, and some of the most amazing progress steps have been made in the last couple of years. So the vets just haven't, they've been out of school longer than that. And most vet practices that I'm familiar with are either large animals or dogs. They get the bulk of the practice. So that's where the veterinarian is going to get their continuing education hours and that sort of thing. So cats just don't get that much love and attention. We are seeing an increase in feline-only vet practices, and they tend to know a lot more about cats than just a general veterinary practice. Yeah, and if I was to approach my own personal veterinarian, either I had a cat that, you know, tested positive with them, how would, you know, changing their mindset? You can um, educate the veterinarian. If you find a veterinarian who, even though he may not know anything about FELV, if he's willing to learn with you, that's golden. And I have found it very effective to send oh, some webinar links to veterinarians. They've been very responsive. There's one that I send, Dr. Levy webinar. And it's also connected to that 2020 guidelines for the American Association of Feline Practitioners. And what I have found is that the vets can look at that and quickly ascertain the importance of the information that they're seeing. And plus, there's links right there that they can click through and see the paper. They can read the abstract. They can look at the data that is submitted with it. And they can read the scientific evidence behind it. And plus, they pretty much respect that the Association of Feline Practitioners. So I think there's also the veterinary publications have uh, endorsed that as well. So if they can get the information quickly, they can become your best advocates and supporters. If there are folks interested in, in reaching out to you or finding out more about your Facebook group, how would they find you? There's sort of two ways. We can give them my email address, which is margaret.tompkins at comcast.net. I'm happy to communicate with people through email. And there's a group on Facebook that I would highly recommend. It's called Owners of FELV slash FIV Cats. Uh, you don't have to own a cat, you know, to participate but it's a group of about 16,000 people who are very knowledgeable, excellent admins there, and it's a well-moderated group. So 
it's a, a great place to hang out and learn about FELV and sort of see what the current trends are as far as nutrition and, you know, the how-tos, my cat is doing this, what do you think type things. Lots of good information and an excellent support system. So I highly recommend that owners group. Just go to Facebook and Google FELV and you probably will see a list of groups. That owners group is the one that I so highly recommend. It's well worth joining that group. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think we're going to see more and more interest in FELV. As you well know, we have this wonderful Feline Leukemia Conference Day in July of each year. So I would certainly invite everyone to come and participate. We always will have the latest information there. And who knows, maybe it's information that we don't even know about now, but we will next July. So I'm already looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. And you were the person who declared July Feline Leukemia Month, right? Absolutely. July is Feline Leukemia Month. And uh, I do have a feline cat that lives in uh, Kanab, Utah. And uh, his birthday is the 4th of July. So we celebrate Dill's birthday and we celebrate all FELV cats in July. Margaret, I want to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on the show. And we'll definitely have you back on in the future. And thank you for advocating for these cats. They are tremendously special. I will always remember my first adoption of a kitty named Nala back in 1996, adopted out feline leukemia positive kitty. I'll always treasure that as one of my most special adoptions that I've facilitated. Awesome. You were way ahead of the curve. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.